Welcome to The Retreat, a safe space for open well-being conversations. Today's podcast focuses on grief. We are joined by Lisa Aitok, well-being manager, and Zoe Fitz, assistant administrator. So Lisa, you have a varied range of skills and qualifications. Could you go into a bit more detail with that for me? Yep. So I initially did a degree in health and social care. And then I went on to study uh, mental health studies. And the focus of that was about um, working with individuals with mental health illnesses, um, but using diverse perspectives on how we understand and treat. So it wasn't the normal sort of medical model. Mm -hmm. I also trained in solution focused therapy and play therapy. Um, and I have a lead and working on a leadership and management qualification. I'm a coach. Um, then as part of continuous development, I trained as a child line counsellor initially in a volunteer, voluntary capacity. Um, got a very long time ago. Um, and I worked as a volunteer for about 18 months. And then because the system um, or the service was changing, they were making the child line council role a staff role. Um, so there was an opportunity to work for the organisation. So I applied and I was successful and I was a child line counsellor for many years. Um, and I spent in total 13 years at the NSPCC working on that particular helpline service with children and young people. And that was predominantly a counselling role um, with signposting and also an element of safeguarding. And so supporting people that um, maybe needed additional help from emergency services, for example. But during that time, um, whilst I was working at Childline, I was interested in sort of um, widening out some of my skill set. And I knew someone who volunteered at Cruise Bereavement Care. And um, I really rated this person. And she kind of said, you know, I think you'd really um, get a lot out of it if you applied to volunteer. Um, so I did and I was successful and I trained with them initially for working with adults and bereavement because they start you off really, really slowly. Um, and I worked with adults for a number of years and then um, they they discovered that I worked for Childline and they they didn't have a children and young persons volunteer. So they asked me if I'd be interested in training to support children and young people. Um, and I love training, so I said yes. And I trained and I volunteered doing adults and children for probably about 18 months after that, before the, um, the actual children and young persons worker left. And when she left, there was obviously a vacancy, but it was a part-time vacancy. So at that point, I decided to go part-time at the NSPCC. And then I, I took a part-time role at Cruise Bereavement Care as their children and young persons worker. Um, and yeah, so I'm a registered trainer for them still. I still um, do that work for them and train them in safeguarding, understanding your bereavement and also grief and young people. Yeah, because um, from my own personal experience, I have um, received support from you um, before, obviously, my dad passed away. And I found, although nothing can really prepare you for what's going to happen and what you know is going to happen, it was it was helpful because it made me realise a lot of stuff before 
he passed away, what would happen after that? So it, it was quite helpful in that sense. Um, mm. How did you know that you wanted to work for Cruise Bereavement Support? Because obviously it's not it's not for everyone, is it? But no, um, and believe me, many people have said to me, why do you work there? <laughs> what do you get out of that? That must be really morbid and really, you know, depressing. But actually it isn't. And I think what made me want to work there was having volunteered for them for many years, the way they treated their volunteers was second to none. Yeah. They made you feel really valued. Um, they celebrated um, our work all of the time. They, you know, that they put in clinical support, clinical supervision for us. We had um, su uh, line management support. You know, it was all there that the package was around you. Um, and so you felt that, you know, you, you weren't alone, but you were really valued as an individual. And so when the opportunity came up to do the work, I just felt it was the right thing to do at that time you know I just had a good feeling yeah this is the right thing for me I wanted to diversify away from the child line stuff because that as well can be quite heavy and I felt like having a foot in two camps and, and kind of crafting my my work around what worked better for me um, was actually the way that I wanted to to go. It, it makes total sense um so I've, I've, obviously this is a grief podcast so um as i've already touched on i've had a personal experience of grief mm -hmm. have have you yeah you'd like to think so now that i'm in my 50s that i've had some experiences of grief and i think like most people um my first experience of grief was when my nan died when i was 11. um but that was like 1981 and in that time it wasn't the done thing to kind of um you know allow children to go to funerals it you know it it, it was a case of this is a place for adults and and there was no kind of recognition yeah. around the fact that children grieve too and they need to be supported through a process and and i didn't know that at 11 either but that's what i i obviously learned later on in life when I, I worked for cruise bereavement care the importance of allowing children to do that so that was my first experience and then you know i've experienced many bereavements since you know the sort of the normal ones where people get to old age and you kind of expect you know people to die at a certain point and then um i had you know my favorite uncle died of lung cancer um just three years ago and then i guess the one that potentially had the largest impact on me was uh, being bereaved by suicide six years ago um, when my sister's partner ended her life um even though i worked and oddly enough i'd taken the job at cruise um and i started on the um I think it was it was the first week in june in 2016 yeah. and then um she ended a life on the 20th so i'd been there three weeks when it happened and the support i got from them was amazing in terms of um i was sent home immediately and i was given as much time as i needed and i was taken off all duties um and i was not allowed to go back and work face to face with anyone 
until my clinical supervisor was satisfied that I was able to uh, manage other people's emotions. And, and even for a while, um, because I was one of their longest serving um, members, I had the experience of dealing with the more difficult deaths, the traumatic deaths. So that meant that there were a person down, which is a massive impact on the service. Um, but like I said at the beginning, they value the volunteers and staff. So actually, it was about my well-being first, which which was, um, you know, I really appreciated it, to be fair. Yeah, I was going to say, like, my, my first experience of grief, like, I haven't experienced, like, grandparents dying. I haven't really experienced, like, a pet dying or anything like that. So for me, for my, like, my first experience was when my dad died at 19. And at 19, you don't you don't expect your dad to die like mm -hmm. you expect him to be there when you get married when you have kids and like when you buy your first home like all those life experiences so for him to pass away at 19 it kind of leaves it leaves you thinking what like what if like like what if he was still here now what like what would he be doing what would he think like would he be proud of me it's I think it's it's for me for me personally it was hard because I like my siblings got to experience some of those things whereas me as a 19 year old I would have never have experienced those things so mm. it's hard because I know that I'm missing not missing out but I'm missing out of that key element like it's hard on it's hard on everyone but you only get in my eyes you're gonna get like one dad so my, my dad was around for my whole well no he was around for most part of my life mm -hmm. which I'm grateful for but you 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 always want more and it's it's hard because like we all we all knew it was coming but nothing will ever prepare you for it happening Absolutely. And we call that a living loss. Um, and that's something I'm experiencing at the moment with my dad with dementia. So actually, the person that I know, I knew isn't here anymore. He's slowly going, but he's still here kind of thing. So he kind of, you're yeah. not gone yet, but you're preparing for that. And the thing that you're describing there is kind of the should-haves and the could-haves. So yeah. had he been alive, uh, you know, he should be taking me down the aisle. He, If he was here, we could be doing this together. Um, and that's um, not unusual um, in the circumstances that you describe. And I think, you know, it's something that you see not just in, in children that are bereaved of parents, but also the other way where parents are bereaved of children it, it's not the way things should be there's, yeah. there's an order we expect things to happen in and what you're describing isn't the order we expect and so that in itself brings around um a complexity to the grieving process that you wouldn't get if it's I'm going to use the term normal grieving and when I say normal grieving I'm talking about the ones where granny is 96 she's had a good old innings yeah and, you know she's got to go sometime and that's kind of a normal grieving process compared to the, the more complex ones that we see mm. and I, I know for me like when it when it happened I didn't believe it happened because um I, I was at I was at home at the time because I 
I have a slight fear of hospitals. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just do. Um, so I, I didn't really see dad before he died. And now I look back on it, it, it was a good thing because I remember him how he was and not how he was before he died. Um, but like when, um, when I found out that he died, like my mum had texted me and my first response was, are you sure? Like, really? Like, are you joking? But it just didn't sink in. And I know for a while afterwards, I would like, I'd have very vivid dreams of him still being alive. And it was very, it was very weird because then I'd wake up and believe he was alive because of my dream. But then like shortly after waking up, I then realised, oh no, he's not here. Mm-hmm. And it's, <sighs> that was quite difficult because you wake up and you're like, okay, he's not dead. He's not dead. And then like a, like a couple of minutes after you, brain then realises, okay, that was a dream. And it's, that was quite hard. Yeah, and what you're describing actually, quite um, what you would expect a grief reaction to be, um, you know, initially we are in shock and disbelief um, because we don't want to accept what we're being told. We just don't want to accept it being, ha- uh, that, that it's happened. And, and like you, I remember um, my mum ringing me to tell me that Ali had died. Um, and I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, right, well, I'll just sort my desk out then. And I'm like ordering things around. And um, and my manager came out and asked me if I was OK. And I just kind of told her in a really matter of fact way what had happened. And she's like, right, well, I think you need to go home. And I said, well, I'll just finish it. And she went, no, I think you need to go home. And it was like, it just hadn't penetrated. And I think what our brain does for us is it protects us. It's like, you can't deal with this right now. So we're going to sort of protective barrier around you. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, that you, you're not accepting. And I think that's, that's it, isn't it? At that point, we don't want to accept. And the grieving process takes us to a place of acceptance, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I get yeah, and it's like like with the funeral, I I didn't get involved in planning the funeral or anything because I was like I didn't I didn't personally want to believe that he was dead. I still wanted to imagine him being alive. So if I didn't have any say in the funeral or what he would have wanted, then it was easier mm-hmm. that way because at least then on the day, like as of like as I've said, I'd never experienced grief. I've never been to a funeral. I'd never had to experience any of that in like the 19 years I'd already lived. So to go to go to my first funeral and it'd be my own dad, it it was hard. Like, because obviously everyone apart from my mom, they all had partners, like my brother's par- partners were there. So they all had someone to support them, but I didn't have anyone. Mm. So it was hard because I didn't want to rely on mom because mom's, mom was going through her own grief of losing the love of her life and it 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 was hard on so many different levels because as i've said like you don't expect your dad to die at 19 but the more i didn't know about what was going to happen in the funeral service the easier i thought it would be but that was completely (laughs) wrong relationships for those left behind um you know it's like well 
you know, you, you'll hear people commenting, well, they seem to have got over that all right. And, you know, why aren't you upset, like really accusatory, when actually all of our experiences of that person are different. We have a different relationship with them. Therefore, our grieving process is going to be different. But what you also talk about in there is about making choices. And that is so important. When I was 11, I wasn't given a choice yeah. about whether I went to my nan's uh, funeral or not. Um, and this was somebody that was really important in my life because my parents had, had divorced. Um, and so she was kind of the this, this, this stable thing in our life. Um, and you just kind of, you're told, oh, Nan's died. And then there's going to, you know, there's going to be a funeral. I didn't even know where a funeral was. And that was that. I never saw this person again. But what I did, you know, my learning from that and also what I know about bereavement and children is that when my sister's partner died i actually gave my son who was 13 at the time the opportunity what do you want to do um, and i allowed him to make all his own choices um ar around what he wanted to do in terms of the funeral and i think you know if you make your own choices even if afterwards you may think i wish i'd done that differently what you have to remember is you did the right thing for you in that moment in time yeah, you know when when you kind of actually probably not got all your capacity about you, um, but you do the right thing for you at that time. Yeah, I definitely say that's really important because obviously at the time for me, not going to see dad was the best option because I get upset watching someone die on a TV program that's not really dead. Let <laughs> let alone it being someone important to me, and especially watching the TV. The, the deter oh, I can't even say the word the deterioration mm -hmm. of my dad being a healthy man to mm -hmm. my dad having no hair being stick thin and mm -hmm. all of that and that's not like I want to remember the happy times that we had mm -hmm. and not him constantly being in and out of hospital or not really being able to maneuver around the house like you you, you don't want to remember those bad times you want to remember the good times whereas personally um i get i get frowned upon within the family um because i never went to see him and all of that but mom and dad had that understanding of why i didn't go because they knew it would upset me more and i'm sorry i don't think dad really wanted me crying my eyes out when he's still alive no and again it goes back to you but your personal choices doesn't it and what is right for you in that moment in time and it will be different for everybody um yeah. but actually your approach to it is quite a healthy one because you know we're not going to sort of pretend that you know what happened happened in terms of you know he, he lost his hair he became stick thin um as a result of illness but actually that last illness shouldn't define a man who had lived many more years than that and had done some great things in his life. Why do we want to just remember that last bit? You know, it's the same with my uncle. He was my favourite uncle for lots of reasons. You know, he was yeah. the fun-loving one. He didn't have any kids of his own. And so he he was just like, you know, he, he was the life and soul of everything. Um and not dissimilarly, he he had lung cancer, which literally sucked the life out of him. Um, 
but I don't want to remember that sort of little bird-like man at the end. I want to remember all those amazing memories that he's given me that nobody can take away from me. Whether, you know, the choice you made in that moment was the right choice for you, you're, um, you know, you're not, um, you know, saying that other people that made a different choice were right and wrong to do that. We, we have to do what's right for us. Yeah, and it's different for everyone. Yeah, ev everyone's different. Like, my two brothers were there and dad uh, so dad obviously chose to die when he like when he did because like one of them had left the room so it was just my mom and my other brother and then that's when he decided he was like okay right this is the time and we none of us can go okay he's going to die at this time it's when they are ready to die so i think I feel at peace knowing that dad would have died at the right time and I, I know that he wouldn't have thought negatively about me not being there because he understood how I felt and he also wanted me to remember the good times and not the bad times, which was very nice of someone to think of. And this is the thing, you know, the one thing we can be sure of in life is we're going to have to pay tax and we're going to die yeah you know and nobody knows when that moment is going to be in terms of dying um there's never a right time because we always want if i could just have five minutes more if he could have just stayed around for another day you know, we're always going to go into bargaining that's part of grief as well but ultimately you know we, we are all going to die sometimes and we need more conversations around it so that we do understand and we do accept that we're all on our own personal journey and let's be honest we're doing the best we can with what we've got at that moment in time we may not always get it right you know I was trained in it I've read books on it but when I was facing my own bereavement of suicide I completely didn't know what to do yeah. I couldn't understand my own reactions to things, even though, you know, I was working with my clinical supervisor who was saying to me, but you know what's happening? And I'm like, I know, I know. But it didn't make any difference to the fact that I couldn't hold it back or stop it or park it or anything. I had to do it like everybody else. Yeah. And I think the, the further along you go, along the grieving scale, shall we say, the the easier it, it does get because like for the first year I would cry on my birthday I would cry at Christmas I'd cry on Father's Day I'd cry watching the TV in the living room where we all used to watch TV together but now I wouldn't say everything's normal because everything's not normal but you kind of you get that sense of okay he's gone but life still goes on and we can still watch TV without dad in the living room. We can still use the kitchen without dad being in there. It's, I, I would definitely say, especially like from my own experience, it does get easier as you go on. And I found the more I've talked about it, the easier it is. Because I like, if I was to talk about this like two years ago, I'd just be sat here in tears crying mm -hmm. about it. But now, I can make jokes. 
about it. I, I have a very dark sense of humour. Um, it helps sometimes. <laughs> it does. So, my, my, whereas, like, my mum's not at that stage where she can make jokes about it. Hmm. But for me, it helps. And I find laughter helps because I'd rather be laughing than crying. Hmm. <laughs> and I think what the other thing you touch on there is, is like you said, that, you know, the, the first birthday, Father's Day, etc., and again, it's it's normal. The firsts are difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, a lot of work that we do at Cruise when we're working with people perhaps who, you know, have, have recently been bereaved is thinking about those first. How are you going to navigate them? What are you going to do? Are you going to just keep your pajamas on and hide under your duvet and book the day off work? Fine, if that's what you need to do. Or are you going to go to um, a sort of central point, which might be the grave, or you might decide to go and let some balloons off? It, you know, it doesn't actually matter what you do, but it's about thinking about that that day could have an impact on you. And rather than feel like out of control, so you you kind of thinking, oh my god, it's it's coming up, it's coming up. What if this? What if I'm at work and I burst into tears? What about this? Yeah. What about that? But actually, if you kind of put some thought to it and go this is what I'm going to do you feel a little bit more in control of it you still might cry at work but that's okay um but it's it is it is difficult to navigate the first and and it can be difficult for for numerous years and strangely enough um this anniversary of Ali's death I woke up on the morning and I burst into tears Six years on, don't know where that came from, um, but I've, I just felt that overwhelming sense of loss again, just like that. I don't know where. Six yeah. years down the line, and I think that's the thing with grief. It can be anything. It can be a piece of music you hear. It can be a smell. It can be seeing somebody that reminds you of them in some way. Their favourite band on the TV. It doesn't matter what it is, um, but sometimes those those moments can catch you completely off guard and just send you right back to how you felt when they when they um you know when you were first bereaved yeah I was gonna say for me it's when I see someone that looks about my age and with someone that looks about like a father's age when I see them out and about I'm like I miss that like I miss just being able to like go shopping with dad or like taken to a hospital appointment or something like that. I just miss you. Just miss the small things. Mm. Uh, but to be fair, mum was really thoughtful in the fact. So um, dad died pretty close to his birthday. Um, so mum was really thoughtful in the fact that we had dad's funeral on his birthday. So it was one less day to have to reflect on. So like, if we'd had like had it after his birthday, we would have had to like. It would have been the grief around him dying, then his birthday, and then like the day of his funeral. Whereas, how, like, it kind of felt like like a full circle. Like, yeah, he he was buried on his birthday, and I think that he, it's it's that little bit of closure, like, hmm? like the circle of life almost, isn't it? Yeah, and he he just. I feel like he would have wanted that as well if he could have chosen when he would have been, like when his funeral would have been. I feel like he would have chosen his birthday as well. So it it, it was quite nice. Perfect. Um. 
So um, could you tell us more about what you did at Cruise Bereavement Support and how your skills fit into that and fit into the role that you do within the network now? Oh, that's a big question. OK, so what I did um, at Cruise, as I said, I, I, I was a children and youth worker, but I was also part of the um, traumatic grief team. So there was an, a couple of us that had just got the experience under our belts. So when you have death by murder or road traffic accidents, mm. suicide, they're complex bereavements. And yeah. um, as a result of that, you get complex grieving. Um, and so I was part of that team and I'd work with children, and young people. I do family support. So what what tends to happen, not dissimilar to what I described about myself at 11, is in lots of family situations, because the parent or carer is grieving the loss of whoever's died, they often forget about the kid and they just think the kid's being difficult, um, not concentrating at school, being disrupted, their behaviour's changed. I don't know what's the matter with them, but they can't quite understand that maybe they're impacted by grief. Um and so I do a lot of work supporting families, um, parents and carers to understand their child's grief and what was going on for them and how they could best support them. Understanding that, you know, a child's fear, especially if they're young, that, you know, maybe it's a parent that's died. You know, it's a real it's a significant other. That parent has died. That kid's fear now is that the other parent's going to die suddenly. So, you know, they're, they're kind of waiting for that to happen. So, of course, their behaviour is going to be um, stemming from fear, anxiety, worry. Um, and so it's just trying to get them to see that and work, and work together to support each other. Um, yeah. I'd offer advice to schools. Um, schools were my biggest nightmare, really, because I could never understand why they didn't understand that the child was grieving and as a result of that there'd be behavioural changes and actually trying to focus on your GCSEs when mum's just died is really difficult um, yeah. but there seemed to be this lack of empathy and understanding so I'd, I'd do a lot of work with schools um, kind of telling them off and telling them to be a bit more uh, empathetic towards the kids that they were teaching. I'd also I was part of the training team um, and so I'd deliver the, the training to um, new volunteers um, around, I'd do a couple of them. It would be about uh, children and grief, which I'd do with our volunteers, but I'd also do to professionals. So teachers could come along, we'd get psychotherapists coming, counsellors, just to get that better understanding. Um, I was a safeguarding officer there as well. Um, and I would be sort of the the liaison point for professionals that were working with children and young people generally um, and grief. Um, so mainly I do one-to-one -one work. So working with the um, predominantly young people by themselves or in family support situations. We do a lot of play therapy. So I had lots of toys and arts and crafts because what you find is um, it can be quite difficult to kind of sit down with a five-year-old and sort of talk to them about what's just happened because for the most part they're away with the fairies and everything's a bit magical for that age group. Yeah. So getting them to sit down and, and perhaps make some, make a card or 
just chat about things while we're playing with the dolls and giving them characters. And you'd often find they'd play out what had happened, particularly if it was a traumatic death, they'd use play to kind of tell their story. Yeah. Um, so I would I would do lots of that. And obviously we'd need to, we never kept reports as such because it is a confidential service. So what happens between you and the counsellor stays just in, in that situation, apart from anything you discuss in clinical supervision. But we never kept any sort of written, written notes as such. So I guess for the most part, my skills are, in that area that you can kind of transfer over is empathy. Um, I have that, I have the knowledge about grief and the process, which lends itself really well to things like loss generally. So that might be um, losing your job. It might be a relationship breakdown. It might be um, change management. That has a lot of similarities to the grieving process that, that you know, there's similar processes that we go through. So those skills I can transfer really well to the network um, and use them here. And yeah, just kind of try and normalise, you know, it, it's it's one of my things that I'm really passionate about in terms of if we can normalise the situation and the conversation around grief and about things like suicide particularly and the stigma yeah. attached to that, then to me, my work here is done because, you know, those are really important messages for anybody. Yeah, because that's, that's another thing to highlight, that grief, grief doesn't have to be about someone dying either. It can be about you losing your job. Mm-hmm. Having a relationship breakdown, as you said, a, a friendship breakdown, because from my own experience, they hurt when you like when you and a friend decide, okay, this isn't great for either of us and we should just stop being friends. That's that's hard. Mm. But well, I remember um when I was at Childline, one of the counsellors, their dog died. And he called in to say that his dog had died. And I remember somebody making a comment like he's having the day off because his dog died and it just made me really angry and I sort of said to the person on the side you know just because it's a pet that doesn't mean that they're not going to go through the same grieving process that we all go through when we lose something and actually for some people their pet is the most important thing in the world yeah um particularly well not particularly but you may live by yourself and just have you know a cat or a dog or whatever that could be your companion and then yeah. suddenly they're not there anymore it's huge yeah I was gonna say for like for me we have um we have a parrot that dad it was dad's parrot and like I've said to mom because he's he's cracking on a little bit now um like I've already said to mom I was like when Charlie dies I will be inconsolable because it's the last it's the last physical thing we have of dad and like I've grown to really like Charlie, like since Dad's died, like since Dad died, because it's it was his like hobby and his what he'd do like when we were all at work. He'll just sit and talk to Charlie, and for that to be gone, it's I know that would really affect me. And like as you said, I know people would be like, but it's just a parrot. But to me, that parrot holds a sentimental value. Mm-hmm which is hard but you touch on something else that's really important to think about in grief and that's what we call bonds so continuing bonds so 
and, and we see it all the time. So it might be in a ring that grandma leaves you after she's died. It might be um, a parrot um, or, it, you know, it might be a coat, whatever it is. But this links you to that person that's no longer here. Uh, and that helps us in our grieving process and it helps us feel connected to them. You yeah. know, one of people's biggest fears when somebody dies is forgetting them. I'm going to forget, they'll say, I'll forget what they look like. I'm going to forget what they smell like, what they sound like. Um, and I guess in time, you know, that does kind of fade a little. I don't remember how my nan sounds now all these years on. But there's certain things that I remember about her and that's down to the continuing bonds that that we kind of you know we get passed on um and they're really important they're really important to us in and helping us grieve yeah it makes total sense um what would you say like if you could sum up your experience of being a bereavement counselor in one word <laughs> what word would you use honored honored yeah absolutely honored that people would share such difficult stories with me um when they were at their most vulnerable you know i mean normally when they come in on their first session particularly adults more than kids um you know they've built this wall around them and you know not even a hammer and chisel's going to get through on day one um you know and it's all about building that relationship and just holding that space for them where they can just come and, and let go about whatever it is without judgment and you know and to do that when you're at your most vulnerable isn't easy we live yeah. in a world that isn't very tolerant of vulnerability we see it as a weakness when actually what i see in that room is strength like I've never seen anywhere else before. The strength these people have, and I guess you know, you ask me for one word, and you're going to get obviously more than one word. But you know, it, it's that it never failed to amaze me how strong people are, and I don't mean that in a, a kind of you know, in a resilient way. I mean the strength of character to wade through grief and everything it throws up in terms of relationship issues because it impacts everything when somebody dies yeah. you know it's like the middle of the jigsaw puzzle has been taken out and now all the, the pieces around it are fractured and it doesn't fit together like it did like you said you know um things don't seem the same anymore and, and and it isn't and it's about how you can remold that so that you get some kind of sense of a new normal that isn't like it used to be um some people never get to that for some yeah. people it's not possible to remold something so you see a lot of breakdown in friendships relationships um as a result of grief because you know it, it it makes us just see things in a different way. Yeah, I was gonna say, cause like I obviously went to therapy and my first session, I sat there and he just talked to me for the whole session because like, as you know, I'm not a person that opens up. I don't really like talking to people. I hate conversations. So to have to go into like a situation like that, 
it's hard and it's overwhelming but um at my last session he was like i'm really proud of how far you've come from coming and not saying anything to then opening up crying but then working our way to where i am now which i'd happily say i'm quite content and happy with life at the minute mm -hmm. And he's like, to see how you progressed in like, I think it was like 10, 12 weeks is astonishing from how like timid I was at the beginning to being like, yeah, life's great at the end. So I feel how, I feel how honoured you must feel to be able to guide someone mm -hmm. from not wanting to speak all the way through to them actually going, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not fixed, but you've helped mend my broken pieces. It's more of a guidance, isn't it? It's more yeah. of a steering in the right direction because, you know, for some people, they want to be stuck in their grief because actually they don't want to face a future without this person. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's comfortable to ruminate because that's all they can do in that moment in time. Um, the other thing is that, and you touch on it again with what you're saying, in terms of if people could, they would avoid grief. Who wants yeah. to feel like that for any length of time? Nobody. If we could, you know, if we could stop it happening, we would. And the fact is, we can't. We can avoid it for a period of time. Um, and people do, trust me. They will, you know, they will do everything and insist that it's all right. It doesn't impact on me. Um, I'm strong. I'm resilient. I, I don't need any help. Um, and what they're actually doing is they're avoiding their grief. And at some point, it will come back um, and bite them on the behind because it's not going anywhere. Grief can't be avoided. Uh, at some point, you have to you have to face it and there's no way around it you have to go through it mm -hmm. it's painful it's horrible it's messy um but as you rightly say within for the most part a relatively short period of time you can begin to make some progress and yeah. that's what it's about you're not fixed because i actually believe we carry grief around with us forever it never yeah. goes away that loss it's just as you said, it, it feels, it doesn't feel as painful as it did on the first day. We manage our feelings around it better because we grow in our strength uh, and our ability to understand. Um, but at the time, it, it, it's terrific. But yeah, it can't be avoided. It has to be dealt with. And I think, you know, people need to kind of wise up to that. Yeah. And you've just got to, you've just got to give people time. Like it took me three years to actually want to talk about it whereas with my mom she did it straight away like a couple of months after dad died and she was like it was the best thing for her to do but for me it took it took me a little while longer like my brothers haven't gone down that route yet but it's everyone's different like we're not all on the same scale like for what like I've been through it's taken me like two and a half years to get over like the initial part of it whereas like someone else it could take them five years it could take them a couple of months it's it's different for everyone totally and it, and it depends on the type of death 
the type of death massively impacts on the way you grieve. So, you know, the, what the you know the the bereavement you're discussing, your dad's, uh, even though it was you know untimely, you knew that it was going to happen. It mm. was you know it was terminal illness, and you knew that at some point that time was coming. So in a way, as you described at the beginning, you were able to prepare. For yeah. some of it, even though it never really fully prepares you, it, you kind of get used to the idea that that's going to happen. So there's a level of preparation. But in sudden deaths, so, um, you know, like suicide where, you know, my sister's partner went off to work and then didn't come back again. Sudden death like that, like somebody, somebody's kid going um, out and being stabbed while they're out. Yeah. The, these are complicated deaths and then I think for me the more complicated are the murder suicides where you know a member of um, a family has murdered the whole of the family and then ends their own life that's a traumatic and, and complex um, uh, grief and then, of course, terrorism attacks. Yeah, you know, those are are um, and you know I, I worked actually on the um, the Birmingham pub bombings of nine. I didn't work on them at the time, but back in the seventies, um, and the family had a public inquiry a couple of years ago in twenty eighteen, and I worked with crews as part of the emotional support team for the families. Now, those families are still grieving, what, 50 years later? Yeah. For what happened, that unresolved grief, that complexity about who's responsible for what happened, what actually happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of listening to the evidence, you realise that there's a lot of questions that they're never going to get the answers to. Yeah. And and that how do you begin to, you know, accept that? It's the same with suicide. You know, there's a lot of uh, questions that you just don't get the answers to, but you have to find a way of getting to the point where you have to accept that this is this is where it's at. But it's not an easy journey, and and everybody will will um, take a different amount of time to get there. You know, it's not like well, if I start grieving now, it'll all be over by next December. It doesn't work like that. You know, like you yeah. rightly say, it's taking you two and a half years, but somebody else in your family may have processed things a bit more quickly or longer, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I we we we've already kind of touched on this, but um what would be like your top tips for navigating grief and the common behaviors that people experience? At? I think again, you've given the answers to this without knowing time. Yeah. You have to give yourself time um or give someone time in the family. Um, it's not a quick process. It's not a, you know, even if you go in to support in some way, it, it, it takes time to work through your story, to understand your own reactions to things um, and the impact that it's that it's had on, on your life. And and that takes time. You know, you if you've known this person for 30 years of your life, you're not suddenly going to kind of sort it all out in your head within six weeks. It's, it's going to take time and, and that's okay. Not only is it going to take time, but you have to give time to it. And this 
always used to make people look at me in an odd way when I used to say this, but we have to make time to grieve. We can't grieve all the time because well, you'd be an emotional wreck. You'd have no energy. You'd be exhausted. Yeah. Um, and then in the initial days, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's total overwhelm. It's complete emotional breakdown. But at some time, you know, we've got to get back to work. We've got to get back to doing, you know, the things that need doing, cooking, cleaning, etc. So how do we, we've still got the grieving to do. So what do we do about it? And, you know, we, we have to find time to do it. So that might be that people decide, OK, I'm going to have a look in the memory box on a Friday night because that's when I'd normally be having pizza with mum, for example. And I'll go through the things and I'll have a look. I'll give my time some I'll give myself some time to reflect on what we had and what I don't have anymore and what life's going to be like now and kind of get used to that idea. And part of grief is is a, a sort of process. And the easiest way I find to describe to people is kind of a dual process model. And that's so initially we're in loss. So we're kind of going over memories, we're thinking about things, we're consumed by the bereavement in the beginning uh, and all what we've lost. But at some point, we have to go into restoration and restoration means trying to embrace the future, trying to think about um, how we're going to, you know, like you said, watch some TV without dad watching the TV and being cool with it even though you're not really cool with it do you know what I mean just finding yeah. a new way of doing things um without that person in your life and that and that's the kind of model and you may you know you may watch 10 programs and everything's honky-dory and then you watch one program and suddenly you, you really feel the loss of dad whilst you're doing that and, and you go back into loss thinking about the memories and what the, you know the things that have occurred and that's the way we go until we stay more in the future than we do in the past it really is about being able to let go but you've got to give the time to do it you know and and that's what people don't want to do they just want it to be done like that please so I don't have to feel the pain and the hurt I just want it to be okay um but it doesn't happen like that so normal behaviors I think it, it, it impacts in a number of ways. So we've got the feelings part of it. So the sadness, you can expect to have that kind of emotional stuff. You've got the physical stuff. So that might be the tightness in the chest, the hollowness in the stomach. It kind of impacts us in that way. And then cognitively, you again, you touched on it, that, that disbelief, yeah. you know, that confusion. Um, and then we've got behaviours. It impacts us be, in a behavioural way. So searching is one of them um and by searching people that are listening will be familiar with this that have grieved in that we, we're often if we're out in a crowd we're looking for them or we think we hear them yeah or we're searching for the answers as to well why did this happen well well why didn't they explain that well you know and and it's kind of searching for stuff um that we're never going to get the answers to. So, you know, it, it impacts in all those four areas, different people in different ways. Some people, it might just all be about the feelings. Um, but for most of us, we have a bit in each area um, as we go through grief. And there's no there's no kind of right or wrong. Um, but yeah, you, you, you have your ups and downs. It's like a roller coaster. We know this sadness. Um, 
disbelief. And then at some point, we get to acceptance. We have to get to acceptance. Because if we don't get to acceptance, we're going to be stuck in grief for a long time. And that's yeah. just going to hold us back in all areas of our life, uh, which isn't actually what the what the uh, deceased would want. No. So it's about how do we get to that place of accepting what's happened, even if we don't like it. It's not an easy journey, but it's one we have to take. But, yeah, those are probably the most common things that we see. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on as um, I am like a children's mental health first aider is, is there a difference between grief in a child and grief as an adult? Like, I know it's harder for children to understand the grief aspect of it, but I just wondered from your own experience, do you think there's a difference or is there a clear difference? I think the answer... My short answer is no, there isn't a difference because whoever you are, you go on a on a grief journey, whoever yeah. you are. It's about how it presents that's different and levels of, like you say, understanding. So if you've got a small child who's about, you know, five and below, assumptions are, are often made about their ability to understand death and dying. But they do understand death and dying because they know that they, you know, if we don't water a plant, it dies, that flowers don't live forever in the vase, that the leaves fall off the tree in autumn because they're dying off. So actually dying's all around them. But it's just that we don't take the opportunity to talk to them about those life cycles. Yes. And if we did, they, they'd understand then that there's this cycle that goes on. So when they're at five, they, they don't really understand things like, this is why you get a lot of why questions with that age group, because they don't understand things like um, funerals and how we celebrate things um, and, and, the, and the sort of um, the rituals that we go through when somebody dies. They don't understand that. And one of the biggest errors, in my view, um, is that parents and carers, because they're struggling with their own grief and because they don't want to upset the child, will tell them something like, well, granddad's now on the moon or they've gone to sleep. And then, of course, they're, they're, they're worried about going to sleep themselves then because what if they yeah. never wake up? So actually we do a lot of harm when we do these kind of stories. It's better to be honest in simple terms. And there's so many resources out there um, to support young people and grieving winston's wish is a great foundation and, and the children's bereavement uk that offer a lot of information around how we can support um young young people through grief so you've got that kind of magical believing so at that age they might even think that they're responsible for the death in terms of well if i wasn't naughty it wouldn't have happened they kind of make these mad connections with with that happening um so giving them really clear advice uh, sorry, clear information about what's happened in simple terms, you know, that somebody has died, which means their heart has stopped beating um, and, you know, they, they can't function in their body uh, like me and you can anymore. Um, and this is how we, you know, we celebrate this and this is what we do giving them those simple terms using faith if you've got a, if you're faith based in, in supporting that story is brilliant. 
but their grief is actually the same as as anybody else you know they'll feel sad they'll get upset they'll have disbelief they'll be searching all of these things will be very similar as they get older they have a better understanding so when you sort of get into the tens elevens they kind of understand grief at death and dying a little bit more and they know it's more permanent whereas young kids think that granddad might come back well well, he'll come back after he's been on the moon for a while won't he because he loves me and he's going to come back and see me so you know it's just about reiterating the same information all the time until they kind of get to grips with it and then of course you've got your, your teens um who grieve more like adults uh in terms of their reactions but and I think this is why I loved working with children and young people so much and working with teens is my favourite group to work with because they have such a tough time of it anyway. You know, yeah. I'd be working with um, particularly young teen lads, you know, that then trying to navigate friendships. It's that awkward stage of development where you're trying to find where you belong, your own identity, who you are as a person, friendships you're falling out with people left right and center at school because of hormones raging and the rest of it you fell out with your your parents because you've been on your playstation too long so that's all up in the air you've got the teacher breathing down your neck because you're not doing your own work and you've got your gcse's coming up and then some significant person like granddad dies just like that in the middle of it and they've got no strategies for coping they haven't been prepared for it you know, in a family, maybe. And that just makes it massively difficult for them. Yeah. So, yeah, varying degrees of how um, how it might manifest itself. But actually, the process is exactly the same. Everybody needs time. Everybody ideally needs to talk about it and the impact it's had on them and find a new way of moving forward without this person in their life. Yeah, no, that's... it. It's understandable because obviously grief is, it's different for everyone, but it's the exact same thing. So no matter what age you are, you're still going to experience it and it's still going to, it's still going to hurt because it's not not going to hurt. Um, exactly. Yeah. If people can take anything away from this, the fact of the matter is it's going to hurt. Unfortunately, but. Price we pay for love. Indeed. Um, finally, to wrap up the podcast, um, for someone who is out there who is grieving, how how would you support some like how would you support a colleague who's going through grief? I'll tell you how not to support them, <laughs> and that is by ignoring them. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling. Um, you, you know, grief is isolating. It, you feel lonely. You feel mm -hmm. by yourself. Yeah. And even though, like you say, you can be a member of a family that's grieving the loss of someone, everybody's um, journey is individual. And as a result of that, you have to do it by yourself. And so it's a lonely place to be. Um, and the last thing that you want is to come into work and for people not to make eye contact with you or to not mention the obvious thing that's occurred. What's best to do is to just say to somebody, I don't actually know what to say. Yeah. But if you want to talk, I'm here to listen. And 
and when I, and if you say that mean it listen don't say anything you know you can do more harm than good when you go down the chatting route it's best to just be a pair of ears and just let let somebody offload now of course you're not going to be their counselor so you've got to listen to them you know every monday for an hour that's not what i'm saying here but just acknowledging to them that you know you know, I can't imagine what it must feel like for you. Because that's the other thing we do. We often say to people, I know what it feels like. Well, we don't actually. We know yeah. what grief feels like for us, but we don't know what grief feels like for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the best thing to say is that, you know, I don't know how you must be feeling right now. But if you need to talk, I'm here to listen. And, and then listen to what they, they say, you know. Accept where they're at. Just because you managed to grieve your grandma in six months doesn't mean this person's going to be the same. As you rightly said, you know, everybody in your family is on a, a different sort of uh, time scale on their journey. And that's OK. So just accept where they're at, even if you think, well, I think they should have got over it by now. Just keep them kind of thoughts to yourself and accept. Be comfortable with silence. You don't actually have to say anything. You know what? Just being there and sitting with somebody sometimes can just make them feel less lonely than if they're by themselves, just having somebody near to them. And, you know, don't judge them, yeah. more importantly. Don't give them advice, you know. Well, what I would do is, or when I was in that situation, I did this because that's just not helpful at yeah. all. So no advice given. And don't minimise their feelings or their situations, you know. And for the most part, we wouldn't do these things on purpose. We often do them because we feel awkward or, you know, it's we're not used to being in that situation. We don't know what to say. So we fill the silences with nonsense words that we don't need to and end up actually making the situation worse. So try not to judge. Uh, don't offer them advice and don't minimise their experience. And, uh, and that will that will do them the power of good and allow them to do what they need to do. And that's all that matters is that someone feels like that they're supported. Absolutely. And also direct them to our wellbeing website where we've got lots of information about grief and how to um how to cope. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the retreat. Tune in next time for more insights from your colleagues in the West Midlands. If you have an interesting story that you would like to tell, please get in touch.